0: This is part two of a three-part podcast. In a world on the brink of social collapse, one website stands above the rest to fight back the zombie horde of corporate trolls. Permies.com. Take back control of your destiny and protect your loved ones from the toxic git coming at you from all directions. Strap on your overalls and start building that bunker of abundance with the good vibes and friendly, helpful insight found at permies.com. I guess, I guess the thing I'm trying to do is I'm going to say, I don't want anybody to just stop using electricity cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Although there are people, there are pod people that are kind of doing that, although I'm a little baffled at how you can listen to a digital podcast <laughs> without a little bit of energy use. Um maybe it's, maybe they're all solar and off grid and things like that, but, uh, uh, I, I, I kind of feel like with electricity comes the lights.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: want everybody to have the most luxuriant life possible. Now let's see if if we can – can I paint a picture for you of a more luxuriant life using one-tenth of the energy? And I'm going to use the word energy instead of electricity because, of course, natural gas is part of that. And and it could be other forms of energy like petroleum, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, can we – Can we paint a picture? Can we, you know, of of something that might be, and it's, I'm not saying, you know, leap and, and, and do it all at once. It's more like, you know, if you can get closer to five, five or 10%, I think, I think that people find it to be very soul building while adding a lot of luxury. And it's a, it is a flavor of luxury. And, and I think that the biophilic component that you're talking about for heat is fascinating. It is, it's like if you just have the thermostat, it's not exactly soul draining. But when you do wood because you want to not use that, um, I don't know. I think that there are a lot of soul building elements to heating with a little bit of wood. It's like when you heat with this small amount that is a rocket mass heater, there is a soul-building element to it. Now, I imagine if it's your only heat source and you don't have a backup, that might be soul-draining, even though it's biophilic or even though it's more biophilic than something else um, and because it becomes an obligation. An obligation is poison. And if you don't do it, you're going to be very cold. But I, I, I kind of feel like when there's, when there's backups and stuff, and again, community, but of course, you know, there's a long discussion behind that. Um, and I think community in itself is biophilic. If you can do it. And of course, if you cannot, that is unfortunate. And it is of course less biophilic. And considering that um, only five percent of the population is noble, then you would need to f- find those noble people to build community with, rather than the ones that are going to be soul draining. Um, to have a, a a soul building community.
1: All right. Um, yeah, a couple things there. Um, one is that you know if you if you remember in the in the carbon negative mass here discussion, uh, I included. A high efficiency building envelope with the system uh, for a bunch of reasons, yes, including passive solar gain, green roofs, other things I've been doing in a lot of situations where I'm designing things um, to go along with the rocket mass heater because um, that actually they synergize um, and um, they work together in, in a in a, a very positive feedback loop. So, yeah, I would say that. Um, Passive solar gain design plus a high performance building envelopes and so on and so forth are part of my approach to all of that. Right now when I'm talking to developers, uh, and we're thinking about approaches to developing, say, you know, a, a, a subdivision or whatever, uh, it's not, we don't really do subdivisions, it's, it's, uh, it's communities, right? It's a different pattern in the subdivision. Um part of my, my pitch is, is this. It's, um we want to design the entire patterning of land use, building, all of it, such that um, we are using at least 80% less uh, energy per person than the average consumption that we see in the United States per, per capita today. And at the same moment, we want to show a significantly improved quality of life while doing so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now it, people are like, well, how can you do that? And well, there's a lot of reasons. I would, I would just say this as a small side note that, um, the way that our, um, land use and energy consumption and so forth is patterned today is incredibly inefficient and, um, it, uh, also has a tendency to be very anti-biophilic, and so as we start looking at how to rethink and repattern, there's really sort of a repatterning of uh, the whole way of life um, to get you away from jumping in a car and driving all over the place just to, you know, get a little something from the corner grocery or whatever. We're we're really looking at repatterning from a fundamental standpoint so that communities are biophilic they're also um, they're also connective that you can walk to a lot of the places and it's pleasant to walk to those places and when you do so you have all of these beautiful um, uh, you just uh, casual interactions with people that you know um, that are it just happened because you're out and walking around and, and going down to the corner store or whatever that what we want to see is when you pattern communities today that is, I keep on telling developers my, our goal is to pattern it such that you have a beautiful biophilic place in which you live. You walk out your door, you turn left and in less than a five minute walk, you're in the middle of a vibrant community space in which there is, there are people with whom to interact. There are. You know, places to buy many of the things that you need for your daily life. But on the other hand, if you turn the other way and walk the other way, that within five minutes, you're in a beautiful, wild space. Um, you know, that you can uh, have um, a, a, a meaningful interaction with uh, a very nat- natural world. Um, and that um, by patterning properly, uh, I've been showing how we could do things like. Taking a the almost 20 square mile footprint of land that I'm working on right now and say we can put the same number of people on that land footprint that you would get if you turn it all into suburban sprawl. We can put the same number of people on that in only 20 to 25% of the land footprint and um, grow half or more of their food on the footprint and keep more than 50% of the land in wild spaces and pattern it such that we meet all the things that I just mentioned, 80% less energy use, um, vibrant community space because people need to live in a certain amount of density in order for vibrant community to happen and for um, local shops to be viable, right? Um, if you have a certain density of people within a short walking Radius of, of shops, then they become uh, vibrant community centers as well. Um, and so uh, what I'm, I'm basically saying is when we think about it this way and we come at it from this direction, we can have this 80, 90% less consumption while at the same time actually creating spaces that have improved quality of life. And if there's anybody listening to the podcast, it's a developer who's been scratching their head about whether that's possible. Absolutely. If you want to do it, track us down, track me down, and we'll have that conversation because we need more examples of that on the ground because when people see it, when they're able to go there and walk around in it and experience it and experience that quality of life um, and that vibrancy of community, then they go off and their response is, we need, I need this where I am. Right. And that's how we move this needle. That's how we get to the people at the point where people are demanding it, not just, you know, well, can we get them to tolerate it? No, we need to get them to the point where they're actually demanding that this is the way that they want to live. And this is the way they want to raise their children.
0: I, I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, I feel like I, I bump up against that barrier all the time. And, uh, and, and people use it as, as like with well, rocket mass heaters. Oh, the, the government won't go for it. And it's like, who do you think votes for them? Right. Uh, isn't it you? Um, plus the other thing is, is that, uh, when there is demand, then, then it turns out that those same people want it too. But if you shut it down before you even try it or even try to understand it, like, like I'm going to say rocket mass heater and, and then it's like, you know, Shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down mm-hmm. um now it it won't ever get to be where people demand it because you know and and it's like no they they will they they're totally going to facilitate it and bring it in and embrace it, but the first thing is is that there's got to be at least enough people that are willing to um build one so that way others in the area can see it and observe it, which, right. by the way, uh, here in a few weeks, we're going to do kind of an open house with rocket mass heater stuff, and we're going to be bringing in some lawmakers, hopefully. Mm. So that way there can be some changes, at least in Montana. But we're also bringing in some of the public. Um, so for those of you in the Missoula area that want to come out, you know, we're trying to make that happen. But, okay.
1: Um, well, and by the way, I don't know if you're able to, like, do some live stuff from that, but if you have lawmakers out and, um, it makes sense, uh, that any of them, for me to, to be on the chat with any of them, um, I can, I have all the credentialy things, uh, to talk about, uh, that with lawmakers and, um, and help address some of their concerns. Um, and, uh, so that would be, I'd be willing to do that if I'm available. I,
0: I, I think that that's, uh, I'll put maybe sauce on that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that just getting it to the point where the, where, where, you know, uh, we can do this is going to already be an enormous amount of work. Um, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's, oh, it opens up a hundred doors. I want to talk about, but, but right now I'm thinking time to get to the big black book.
1: Yeah. Let me um, one other little quick thing that I was just, I had pulled up while we were talking before we get into the big black book. Um, we were talking about, like, methane exhaust and so forth, and I got to thinking about um, how much methane comes out of landfills. Um, and uh, so that brought me to this idea of um, there's an interesting map at climatetrace.org, um, and it's mapping CO2 exhaust, and it's using real-time uh, satellite uh, data. To map sites around the world, and it has, if you go to climatetrace.org/map, forward slash map, you'll pull up this um, interactive map. You can uh, zoom in and pan around, and it'll show you in your area um, different kinds of sites that are producing the largest amounts of carbon dioxide. And what's interesting is. Uh, it turns out that if you were wondering where all the landfills were in your area, um, this map will show them to you because they're all uh, among the most significant sources of carbon dioxide emissions. Um, but at the same time, they're also methane. And um, so what's happening is we're getting so much biomass uh, being sent into these landfills that um, the landfills get into anaerobic digestion basically once they're capped up. And um, there's, in a lot of them, uh, the methane and CO2 is not being properly captured and sequestered. And so they become huge emitting sites. What this basically means is when I'm talking about things like using methane biogesters and us actually taking and capturing biomass and combusting it in an extremely efficient way, what we're doing is we're extracting energy from it while also making certain that it is, uh, undergoing complete and efficient combustion. And um, in so doing, we're making certain that the methane is combusted and does not release as methane into the atmosphere, which is uh, highly damaging. Um But we're also taking in any CO2 that's making it back into the atmosphere. We have the opportunity to um, use that as a heat source, if it makes sense, as long as we're doing it in a way that is um, uh, super high-efficiency combustion And that's what I was trying to document with that carbon negative mass heater was all the things that have to be in place for that to occur and for it to be the kind of thing that I could, um, um, but you know, I could say that I felt really good about, um, that I could endorse. So anyway, yeah, you might find it interesting to go to climatetrace.org forward slash map and, um, just look around and see, uh, you know, see how much um, and of course, you know also is a good good map of airports by the way um, so let me wrap up <laughs> this just by saying uh, I had also pulled up an article written by Stephen R. Keller uh, on biophilic design, and i 'm going to read uh, just uh, a sentence or two from it because I think it kind of wraps it up. It says, if design doesn 't focus on aspects of the natural world that contribute to human health and productivity then the age old struggle to fit. Uh, to be fit and survive. It is not biophilic. Biophilic design seeks to connect our inherent needs, affiliate with nature in, in the modern built environment. An extension of the theory of biophilia, biophilic design recognizes that our species has evolved for more than 99% of its history in adaptive response to the natural world and not to human-created or artificial Forces, We became biologically encoded to associate with natural features and processes rather than being vestigial or relevant to a world that we no longer live in. This means uh, this need is thought to remain instrumental to people's physical and mental health, fitness, and well-being. So, so
0: uh, when it, I, there's, there's, you know, we keep doing this, and so then you say a bunch of things, now I want to reply to a bunch of things. Um, I, I want to say that, cause of course you do a lot of work with living building challenge buildings. Yes. And uh um and so of course a big part of that is is to have a biodigester, so you get your biogas and uh so then all of the this this organic material comes to the biodigester and then you operate it in such a way that you get the biogas. There's ways that are a little bit more passive to get the biogas, but but setting all of that
1: aside. I, I do I, need to interject real quickly. Um uh, yeah, living building challenge. Um, I am an LFA, Living Futures Accredited, and I'm working on LBC full, for people who are familiar, full LBC 4.0 buildings, like full up, which there's only like 30-some in the world right now. Okay, we're, we're working on three more right now. Um, they have actually banned all combustion. The LBC has banned all combustion. Um, so rocket mass heaters are not allowed and biodigesters uh, are not allowed. However... The reason I'm writing this white paper is that I went in and told them that since we were creating these buildings fully off-grid, that I was going to be using rocket mass heaters and biodigesters. The biodigesters would be capturing uh, biogas that otherwise would be off-gas in the atmosphere. We'd be using that for cooking purposes, right? And they said, well, maybe we can give you an exception. And I said, no, I don't want an exception. I'm going to prove to you that your rules are wrong, that yes. there are cases in which proper biomass use is massively more ecologically sound than um, electrical use, okay? Mm-hmm. It's very limited, and so, so this is where that white paper is coming from. Um, the tech team at ILFI has now basically said that they are open to that conversation, this is the first time, as far as I've been able to tell, that they have said that. Everybody else who has said anything about combustion has been shut down by the tech team, okay? And for sure. reasons. They are looking at indoor air quality. They're looking at overall environmental footprint and so on and so forth. And most of the other ways people have been approaching combustion are from the opposite end of it, right? And I've come in, and I'm approaching it from the way I outlined the carbon-negative mass heater world, and showing them using rigorous approach that it is massively better than what I could do if I use pure electrification only, okay? And so just to point it out, um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the Living Building Challenge to allow us to adopt um, proper biomass combustion um, by me – clearly defining how it has to be done. That's why this whole systems approach in my definition of carbon negative mass heater, I'm I'm defining it that way. So I can go in and have all the parameters nailed down so that if I define it in that way, that some, even what's considered the world's most rigorous green building standard, living building challenge 4.0, that hopefully we can get them to say, Oh, we have to change our definition. And we have to accept this as a, a standard approach to be used. And that's part of the way I'm trying to, like, get this more widespread adopted, right, because there are people who, um, when we've presented this uh, in the, the, the high-end architectural world, who are now perking up their ears and listening, right, because <laughs> if I can get this accepted by ILFI, um then that legitimizes it to an international audience and that's that's part so i wanted to, i wanted to clarify that because um that's an important detail about where this whole this whole thing i'm doing and why and that is
0: amazing and awesome and excellent um it is living buildings are uh urban and uh um I, uh, so, so of course, you know, it's, it is a fascinating thing. And when it is done well, it's something that we can all look at and appreciate and, and build understanding of what we are attempting to achieve. And at the same time, I feel like a lot of my work is about, I wish to advocate for Something a bit more rural, something a bit more homesteading esque and um and once we're doing that, then for the most part, I am not advocating for uh collecting biogas.
1: Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Have you seen the new video of Wheaton Labs? It is permaculture awesomeness with all new and improved things, like more rocket mass heaters, easy-bake coffin, Willy Wonka rocket cooktop 2.0, and the truly passive greenhouse. To see more, go to permies.com slash tour. Again, that is permies.com
0: slash tour. One could argue it has to do with scale. My argument tends to be more like, to collect the biomass, you're going to need a lot of plastic or rubber to do this because you got to contain it all. And, um, and that's where I'm kind of like, I, I just don't like it. I just, it's, it just seems like too much imported material, too much. Toxic gick, too much of this stuff I don't want, and so then it kind of falls into the space of I, I, I want to say if it smells bad, you're doing it wrong. That's true. <laughs> yeah. if it smells you bad, know, doing it wrong is a good rule of thumb. Yes, but this isn't exactly smell bad because all the
1: smells contained within all that rubber, <laughs> no, actually, all the imported uh, rubber. We don't use any rubber. Um and um, like in the systems that we're we're doing um mm-hmm. we're using stainless steel uh, drums to collect um excess biomass from on farm production mm-hmm. okay um the particular system that I've set up so now we're gonna now we're gonna spend the rest of the of our recording time here talking about um. About this because it's really really cool stuff. I'll just, just summarize. <laughs> okay. um, this system that I'm coming up with, I've been working with um, one of the uh, solar cities, and um, boy, they're 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 just really great to work with. Um, and um, putting in uh, three pushin biodigesters um in the, the indigenous uh, community in central Alabama, but of course um, it has to go into a greenhouse because. Uh, you need it to be warm year round. So, um, I designed a, pass- a passive solar greenhouse, uh, for year round food production and symbiotically, uh, connected the biodigesters into the greenhouse. And, um, now the only flush toilets on the property, um, will, uh, go into that. Um, there is an incinerator in the kitchen so that, um, Certain of the kitchen wastes that aren't going to be used otherwise can literally be put down the incinerator and go straight into the biodigesters. And then there is outside next to the greenhouse, there is another incinerator, um, and a silage soaker to allow for, um, on-farm biomass to be added, right? So we can bring, um, we can bring, uh, excess amounts of manure. Uh, we can bring certain forms of silage and uh, we can do through a silage soak, and all of this goes into the biodigesters, right? And um, a lot of the, all this would, if we didn't do anything with it, would just um, decompose. So it goes into biodigesters, and we create biogas. The biogas goes back to feed the kitchens um, and to uh, cook for the community, and then the uh, effluent from the digesters is basically a high-quality fertilizer. OK, that can then be used. And we typically use that mostly in the food forests. Um, And um, so and then the food forest uh, excess fertility comes into the annual production gardens. So that's kind of how that whole process works. But um, so it's a very close cycle. All this is happening within about a 200 foot radius. Uh, The kitchen building and the greenhouse and the biodigesters and then the gas coming back out and going back to the kitchen um and um so all of the the farm waste products uh they they don't want to use plastic at all, so uh things like um stainless steel um is used in the collection of excess silage and so forth, and that's kind of how we're doing that sort of thing um and um so, yeah, it can be done that way. I know that um the one part you wouldn't like, Paul is that yes, we are using some concrete um in the uh biodusters. But um we are getting uh more and more to the point of using um uh concrete with carbon cure so it's carbon neutral and there's some other things that we're doing to get the footprint of the concrete down to more and more uh small. Um not perfect but we're definitely working to get it as low as possible. So in order to
0: be able to harvest the biogas, everything has to be airtight. Yep. And, um, uh, and then of course, uh, once it's airtight, then you need to have a, 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 basically airtight plumbing to go to a point that's going to be able to, um, receive, uh, gases under a pressure that is higher than atmospheric pressure. So, um. Quarter
1: PSI. Quarter PSI. Distribution we're doing at about six Psi and then uh distribution inside the transmission from uh we're pumping it up um for storage at about six psi and then we're distributing it and then uh steps down to a quarter psi when going to the building.
0: Okay.
1: There's there's a certain amount of
0: tech there. Now I I wanna get bitchy and whiny about plastics and rubbers, but clearly you're not using those. You're using As
1: little as st- possible, and we're trying to get out of them completely
0: right and and uh as much as I want to be snarky about that um i I cannot be because the the equivalent that we use, of course, is the willow feeder mm-hmm. now of course we For all of our – for for so many of other things, we just do Ruth Stout style composting and we try to get that material to be locked up in our soils as much as possible um, instead of having it go up into the atmosphere. And you're trying to capture it before it goes up into the atmosphere. Right. Right. So – but when we use our willow feeder systems, we are currently using plastic bins, Mm -hmm. to to carry it around. We're using these plastic cans, which we're like, you know, we want to get away from that, but so far we have not found the way in which we're comfortable doing that. And, and we've got some ideas and stuff like that, but we haven't, we haven't gotten there yet, but it's kind of like, uh, I think, you know, much like what you're doing where you're saying like you're, you've got uh cement shame as you should, uh, the, it's like we were trying to find ways away from it. We're trying to use cements that are like less of a problem and have less of these issues. And of course, one of the things I'm thinking is, is like, have you tried making your own cements? I mean, you're going to have a lot of wood ash there. You've got some opportunities to, to try mm-hmm. some things. Um, and, uh, uh, but I think that what we're going to do is to say something like we're going to get Better, and then um now that we're better, it's like you have to have version four in order to be able to even talk about version five absolutely yeah and and then what happens is is when you have version four, it's easy to have a parade of dumb bucks line up and point at it. And say, but you didn't make it version five. What a bunch of fucking idiots. And it's kind of like, where is your version five, let alone version four or version three or version two? And, and this parade of dumb fucks, of course, have done zero in this space. But now that you have version four actually doing it, whereas nobody's fucking done it before ever then the dumb fucks line up and start complaining about how it should have been a ver- you know blah 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 which would be version 5 and it's like man it's so hard it's in fact i'm going to go so far as to say like i'm i want i'm going to utter a phrase which is not true it is impossible to talk about version 5 until version 4 exists it's not yeah. true but there's a lot of truth to it
1: yeah well you don't and- know enough to talk intelligently about version 5 until version 4 is complete.
0: I think, I think that when you're trying to talk to people about it, you get caught up in so many little bickery details that it's like it's, it's virtually impossible to talk about. And yeah. so you, you, you gotta have version 4 exist so that way you can talk about version 5. So, and um and in and in fact if version four doesn't exist and you are talking about version five, you always end up with version two. Always. Yeah. And so uh we had uh we we had this um uh um rocket kiln here and it was not a very good rocket kiln. And and but it was pretty, it was beautiful. It was very pretty um and um it was placed in a poor spot and it was used very rarely and um uh and it, and basically we needed the real estate and and people kept insisting that we needed to 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 rip it out and we'll replace it with a better rocky kiln but of course i imagine without you even knowing the details you know the details you you do not know what actually happened and yet because you have traveled this path yourself sir so yeah. many times you know precisely what happened and somebody,
1: somebody used the j word
0: the the j word
1: yeah the j word just <laughs> so this is this is one of my hard rules of thumb. And I think Paul will understand it. Which is, anytime an engineer or software person or whatever uses the word "just" in a meeting, <laughs> I call an immediate stop to the meeting and figure out what went wrong. <laughs> well, Paul, we'll just take it down and we'll build it back over here uh, much better. Paul, mm-hmm. we'll just do
0: yeah. that.
1: Just do that, right?
0: And it's like if you take away version 1 yep and it's gone all in the name of building the better version 2 right you are doomed to yep. building another version 1 yeah you're doomed you can't do it you cannot build version 2 when version 1 no longer exists you just can't it's it's like the great thing is, if version one is there, then we could talk about a version two. We could look at version one and talk about how it sucks, and therefore make version two. Um, now, it is possible for the person that is about to tear down version one, it's possible that if that person does it authentically, actually does it immediately, Like they tear out version one and they build version two because they they can see the problems, document the problems, have a hundred conversations about those problems. Now version two will be better. And as long as they do it like a week later or a day later or an hour later, that will actually, they can actually make a version two and version one doesn't exist. But. When you rip out version one and you don't do it immediately, then um, later when you try to talk about version two, no one can comprehend version two. Yep. The conversation you're having is about Martians and spacemen and perpetual motion machines and um, all these cra- all these things that are impossible. And, and it's like, uh, um, so you always end up with a version one again.
1: Okay. So one of the things that, that yeah, I, I was going to observe earlier, we're talking about people and, and coming in and looking at your version four and complaining about it is, uh, a good friend of mine who is another engineer, uh, Michael, uh, always uh, says, uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Right. And um, so, anytime somebody starts pulling that, I'll go. You're absolutely right, but we're not letting the perfect be the en- enemy of the good. And if you really want to see all the things you're talking about, then um, you got you got two options: sign up or shut up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. If you want to help? Think, we, we're. Well, you're, We'd love to have you, but if you're just here to complain, then we we do not we do not entertain uh, what you have to say. So,
0: I think permaculture is about developing a more symbiotic relationship with nature. Yep. And that that uh inappropriate bitching, mm-hmm. if you will, or maybe it's even appropriate, I think that is a massive part of human nature.
1: Yep. I mean, uh, um, I would like, I would like to, to put in a distinction here. We're talking about people who are in the, more in the mode, and you know it when you see it, of complaining and that sort of thing, than they are in the mode of genuinely enthused discussion of like exploring possibilities and so forth they are just genuinely excited about it, right? And that there's room for that, absolutely. You know, it's like, yes, these these are we can have those discussions about what we would love to do in the future and so forth. But there's a whole yes. different energy of like, well, why Paul, why didn't you do this? And you know how oh, that's just no good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. See, there it is. Yeah. I guess what I'm what I what I wish to request for all the pod people that are listening to this, yeah, is that when you see something. Cause like you, you're describing this uh, way of collecting biogas and yep. I'm being bitchy about it. And at the same time, I'm realizing I don't really have a leg to stand on because I haven't been able to get to plastic free yet either. Yep. And, and so, um, the, the thing that I wish for is for people to have an appreciation of what is and then talk about what would be exciting to do next. That is, that is delightful and great. Yep. Um, and at the same time, I kind of feel like there, it would be, it would be much appreciated if there was a little bit of respect for, um, if a person has never done versions one, two, three, four, or the f- version five that they're advocating for to show respect for the people that have come before. Yeah. And 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 like basically well I've you know I've never built one of these and so I'm so glad to see one and it fills my head with ideas for what I might try to do in the future so as opposed to the very language that you're suggesting is inappropriate yeah. which is like what dumb fuck did this it's obvious version 5 you know Right. Who would ever wanna do a version four when it's obvious how to make version five? Right. And so yeah. that isn't helping. That is well, not helping.
1: No, I, I let me give a concrete example here of this. So like when we're building this biodigester. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have to you basically have to build the thing, which means that you have to go source all the materials, right? So right. now we've gone through the whole sourcing. It's like We've had to get the materials. We've had to build it. Okay, you know, what's the best you can do right now that you figured out to do for concrete? What's the best you figured out to do for piping? What's the, you know, so on and so forth. And now you've gone through it. You have a list of what you had to have. And you, in the back of your brain, as you finish this whole thing up, I'm like, okay, I've had to use some plastics in this. Right? I've had to mm-hmm. use some plastics. So it's like now I have in my head, and I've already started discussions um, how do we do better? So we are looking at right now with some material scientists, um, alternatives to those um, pipes. Um, and um, I won't go into it. There's, there's some proprietary information right there, but we're looking at some stuff that would be really much, much better, completely non-toxic, no um, petrochemical base, no long-chain, uh, you know, uh, petroleum polymers or any of that sort of stuff, something completely different mm. that we would be looking at. And now um, we basically have a basis for that conversation. We're like, we want to use, you, you know, what your technology is 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 trying to provide. We're wanting to use it in this case. Here's our use case. Can we work together? Can we drive that so that when we build our next generation that we can get there? And so we're iterating any kind of – we're trying to iterate towards perfection, right? right? We don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. What we're going to do is we're going to iterate towards um, a more ideal outcome because that is practically the way you get there. Because in the real world, that's how you achieve a thing. And I want to put in a brief little plug for what I think the, the high value of Wheaton Labs – Is and can be, which is um, if you're if you know again if if you're in the professional design side of things and you're listening to the podcast, what Wheaton Labs you can think of is doing is um, proof of concepts and alpha testing, right? Um, You're not trying to bring technologies up to production ready for large scale mass deployment. That is, that's the kind of thing that needs to be done in other places. You are we're really part of the fun of going to Wheaton Labs is that the way that everything is organized, it's like, well, we can do this crazy experiment that is going to be a a proof of concept experiment Um, that to just prove a thing is possible. Right. And then to start iterating on it, to refine it to the point where it's ready to be picked up, and moved towards the mass ad- adoption cycle. And so, you know, if you're going to go and look at what Wheaton Labs is doing, understand that that is where you are in the process, right? That, I, you know, and, and therefore it's okay that it's not perfect yet. It is by definition it won't be perfect yet. By definition, it is an early – it's an early development. And, um, you know, not, not to, to, to say that there aren't some things there that are, like – Beautifully done and really amazing. It's just that you're not love, um, you're not really thinking about, like, okay, um, like the Liberator rocket mass heater is, how do we take and like commercialize that so it can go to a million houses easily? Right.
0: I, um, I wanna, I wanna come back to the word biophilic. Yep. And, um, a garden is probably the ultimate biophilia. Yes. And so I want to say, like, for example, a rocket mass heater. I want to get to the point where, I mean, I think we're doing it. Every year we make it easier for people to build rocket mass heaters. Right. And uh, I want to get to the point where a person – Can have a very biophilic experience and the product, they basically, in a manner of speaking, give birth to a rocket mass heater in their home. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then you use the words mass production. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I kind of feel like, we, we are at a point where it can be mass production. Like, like there can be a hundred million rocket mass heaters that are birthed this year.
1: Maybe ma- mass ado- adoption is a better way of putting.
0: Oh, okay. I'm, I'm open to that. I mean, is it possible that there could be a hundred million new gardens put in this year? Yeah, that would be nice. And, and it's like, I think. I think for the elements of mass production that would be required to get that there, I think those are already in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, I would say that, um, the materials, the, the, um, basically it's about the know-how. And we've, we've had a bunch of people come back and say that they watched the eight movie set of Betterwood Heat. And then they went out and built their own rocket mass heater, and now they're building more, and they're having great success, and it's going really well. Um, uh, I think that the new uh, Free Heat movie is um, is the very best that we have to offer in this space. I, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I have. You seen yes. It yet? Okay. Uh, yes. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the rest, but you know, would you agree that it's like it's covering a lot of new information in a profound
1: way? Yes. Yeah. There's the, the, there's, there is, um, you've continued to, as people have asked more and more questions and, and you've had to refine your way of answering the question, you know, the, the ability to communicate, uh, I think it's just steadily improved. And so, yeah. And I, you know, that we've got people
0: that, are, that, that, that are like, you know, they can't get by with this YouTube video. They need more. And then we provide a, a movie. And they're like, "Oh, but the movie doesn't, bur, 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 so I need more, so we provide another movie, and then they I still need more, so yeah, what they want is something of Netflix quality or better and um and they 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 need something that has a budget of twenty million dollars to produce mm-hmm. and it's like uh well, I don't have that, <laughs> but if there was and that was that's another thing too is that if if 10 million people built a rocket mass heater or birthed a rocket mass heater, uh, this winter, Mm -hmm. then, uh, I think, I think Netflix might want a good movie to be made, like of a quality that's beyond my abilities. I think that the free heat movie is very good. Um, and, uh, um, made even more special by the animators uh, the bernal brothers um and uh, uh and concentrated i think that the the amount of information concentrated in a 2 hour movie is excellent and the, the the bits and bobs of data that we conveyed is is mm-hmm. tremendous yeah. um so it's it's a saturation of sorts
1: but um i think that it's it's it, when you start teaching it's um and trying to communicate technical information, you, you really start to learn quickly how, um, advantageous it is to have the ability to have really nice animations to put things across because people connect with that and it's a great way of communicating. But boy, that takes it, you know, it's, it's a, that's a resource intensive thing to produce, you know, high quality animations. Um, so the fact that you have the Bernal brothers and you're able to do you know, animations that communicate well, I think, has upped the game quite a bit.
0: This podcast is continued in Part 3.
1: Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of Pi? Where there is pi at com. This Pi grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get pie, go to permies.com forward slash pie to get the inside scoop of what pie can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward
0: slash pie.